The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 12th chapter. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. This was not the first time that this had happened, that a king rode into Jerusalem on a donkey amid shouts and cheers and rejoicing. The first time the crowds may even have shouted the same refrain, Hosanna to the Son of David, because it literally was the Son of David, King Solomon. Solomon had been placed on his father's royal donkey, And he was anointed king and processed 
to the, t to the throne. And all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And they played music and rejoiced, so that the earth was split by their noise. Now, if I were a cinematographer, I would take that scene, King Solomon riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and I'd overlay it with this Palm Sunday scene, Jesus doing the very same thing. And I would do it to show just how similar they are, to show how Jesus and Solomon are so alike, which really is a surprising observation. You would think that Solomon, the wealthiest, most successful, most famous king in all of Israel's history, you'd think that he would be most unlike Jesus, whose kingdom is not of this world. But starting with the way that they rode into Jerusalem, they are strikingly similar. Jesus doesn't ride a donkey because he can't afford a horse or because it's a lowly, degrading animal. He rides a donkey because... That's what peaceful kings do, just like Solomon, whose name means peace. But the similarities don't stop there. The Jerusalem crowd welcomes Jesus as though he's a new Solomon, and it's no wonder why. Solomon was tremendously successful, and not on account of any corruption. He loved God, and God loved him. And God offered to give him whatever he wanted, and Solomon, as you know, asked for wisdom, to discern good and evil, to be a faithful governor of God's people. And so God, pleased with his request, blessed him with understanding and riches and honor on top of that. And Solomon used it all to serve God's kingdom. Israel prospered. Silver was as abundant in Jerusalem as stone there was food for everyone, and everyone was happy. Solomon built God a temple, and God consecrated it himself, putting his name there and filling it with his glory. And Solomon prayed for God's people, and he offered sacrifices on their behalf. He was a priestly king, and he was famous beyond comparison. People flocked to hear his wisdom, and when he spoke, everyone listened. Things were as good as they have ever been when Solomon was the king of Israel. That is not so very different from the impression that folks had of Jesus. Jesus was no stranger to success and fame. From the very beginning, everyone was amazed that he spoke with such authority, and as he grew, he grew in wisdom and favor with God and men. And when he healed their sick and raised their dead, they were happier than they ever could have imagined they would be. They prospered because of Jesus. They would throng to him, crowds and crowds of people, because they knew of his success, and they knew that he could give in abundance whatever they needed. And he certainly did, feeding thousands upon thousands, just like a king, ordering food to be brought from his storehouses. And he prayed for the people, and God listened to him. And everyone who was paying attention knew that this was the king they had been waiting for. It did not require a leap in understanding when Jesus said, Truly, one greater than Solomon is here. The people agreed. With Jesus walking about Galilee and Judea, things were as good as they ever had been. 
He had all the marks of a king of Israel. He was just like Solomon in every way that mattered, and today he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, confirming all of their messianic hopes for a king from the house of David. But all of this really raises a critical question. If Jesus and Solomon are so alike, what is the difference? What sets Jesus apart from Solomon? The very simple answer comes, for us, comes to us today from Paul in our epistle lesson. Jesus was obedient. That is the point where these stories diverge. Solomon's story turns at his disobedience. The tragedy is palpable in the way the story is told. The first ten chapters of 1 Kings are a glowing, hopeful, utopian story of a faithful, of an obedient king and the fulfillment of God's promises. And it seems like we're finally there, in the promised land, at home with God, and then, all of a sudden, with almost no warning, we get this. When Solomon was old, his heart was not true to the Lord, and he did what was evil. And just like that, Solomon is toppled, and the kingdom of Israel disintegrates, and everything that had been going so well counts for absolutely nothing, because whoever loves his life will lose it. And Solomon loved his life. And he loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. As well as he had done everything up to that point, he finally couldn't keep it together. Solomon's story turns at his disobedience. I find that to be a really startling reminder for us not to take things for granted, not to take God's blessing for granted. Not because it might go away on its own, but because you and I, if we do not guard our hearts, might let our love be carried away by something other than God. That same startling reminder would have been good for the crowds to heed, for as you know, although today they are spreading their coats and laying down their palm branches to welcome Jesus as the King of Israel, they will soon be handing him over to be killed. Just when they have everything they'd ever wanted, their story, too, turns at their disobedience, and they crucify the Lord of glory. It is the story of the garden all over again, a story in which God's kingdom is real and present and vivid for Adam and Eve, and they have everything they could ever need, and then they turn their hearts from God in disobedience. That is the way every story has gone ever since. That is until we come to today, until we come to Jesus. Just at that moment when you and I and everyone else would have faltered, when we would have clung to the lives we love, when we would have abandoned the glory of God to avoid the bitter suffering required by that glory, just then, when we expect this story to take its inevitable turn, Jesus remains obedient. He stays the course charted for him by his Father, and he is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, 
This week, the obedience of Jesus is set before us. It is set before us as an example so that we can see how obedience looks and how God rewards it. But so much more importantly, the obedience of Jesus is set before us this week as our salvation. What Jesus does on the cross, he then places into our lives, replacing our disobedience with his obedience. He takes every one of our stories, which are bound for tragedy, just like Solomon and Adam and Eve, and he gives us his own story. He suffers the tragedy in our place so that we can receive his glory from God. This Holy Week, as we walk the final steps to the cross with Jesus, you see his love for all it's worth. This is the absolute best week of the year. So please come along and learn the joy of Christ's obedience. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.